Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Tom. Thanks for being here in person today or joining us online. And if you're following along on the back page of the bulletin, the first two questions of our message today are messages for you to ponder. There won't be anything on the screen, specific answers for their questions for you to think about. How do you respond in these situations? For que- so question number one is this. How do you feel when someone close to you blows it, messes up, does something that, that hurts you? So this can go from a young child who comes home from school and continually forgets to hang up their coat, or uh, a child or uh, a tween leaves a mess behind and you have just gone over with them what it looks like to clean up after yourself, to a teenager who forgets or ignores their parents' requirement to call in if they're out late, to a discovery that your young adult or teenage child is uh, getting drunk regularly, doing drugs, leading down a destructive path, to uh, maybe you've asked your parents to stop bringing up that one topic publicly that really embarrasses you or that thing about them that they're embarrassed about and they did it again at the latest family gathering. Or maybe you've been helping a family member financially and then you find out that they spent the money that you lent them for rent on a new TV and they already have a working TV. Or maybe you have some pretty good friends and you thought you were tight and then you find out they got together without letting you know about it and you were free that night. How do, you, how do you feel about them? Or you're at work, you've asked your manager for some time to talk about some things that you're concerned about and you prepare for the meeting and you come, in, you come to his door and he's forgotten about it. Or he lets you in but he's very uninterested in what you have to say. Or you are a manager and you've reviewed those things with that employee again and, and things seem to be going well but then you see things slipping again. Or your spouse or significant other keeps doing that thing that annoys you that you have talked to them about or they watch that show that bothers you or they try to or successfully do belittle you in public settings. Or you're a grandparent and you love seeing your grandkids but your kids keep talking about the rules that they have for you when you're with your grandkids and you're trying to clarify them and all of a sudden your kid blows up at you. Your young adult, your young adult child. How do you feel about that when that happens to you and then how do you respond and we can respond in several ways that are ultimately not healthy one is to just pretend it didn't happen ignore it sweep it under the carpet just try to go on with the relationship but the problem with that is the same thing may happen again and it's like you've given them unwritten permission to keep doing that thing that bothers you that they're doing or another response is to bring up the situation but immediately play it down oh I noticed that you did that thing that we talked about again but it's no big deal I I know you didn't mean it Uh, uh, let's just move on so that you've just borne the brunt of that situation you've let them off the hook and you may feel temporary peace but deep down the issue is not resolved Or a third possible response, which is pretty common, 
is we get exasperated, frustrated, and angry. And then we let whoever it is have it. And we yell or we get really mad and the issue gets out onto the table and we lay out our expectations and maybe we gain compliance but at the expense of hurt in the relationship. For a lot of times when we are angry, the filter that prevents us from saying certain things is gone. And we say some things that seem like they can never be taken back or resolved. So how do you respond when someone close to you blows it? And then let's look at this issue from another angle. How do you hope others respond to you when you blow it? So you're the one that repeated the same unhealthy behavior. You're the one that forgot about the meeting the important meeting. You're the one who said or did something to embarrass another and you see the hurt on their face. And some of us in growing up might have received a raging blast from maybe our, our parents or some other authority figure in our life when we confess to doing something wrong and then they just let us have it. So we learn well, I'm not going to bring anything up that I've done wrong in hopes that the person that I wronged will forget about it or it will just blow over. And then we apply the same approach to our relationship with Christ or with God. And we do or say or watch something that grieves Jesus and a barrier now exists between us and we avoid the relationship hoping he will forget about it or we imagine he would be just like my angry, raging parent or boss or teacher. So why even bother? So the question that we're asking today is what kind of a heart does Jesus have for us when we blow it? And today's text is going to answer that question. It's going to reveal more of Jesus' heart for us. It's going to reveal more about our hearts as well. And I pray that this uh, talk today will help us see more clearly Jesus' heart for us and will help us to more quickly go to him when we blow it because of the type of heart that awaits us there. And also it will move us to grow to have the same kind of heart towards others in our lives who blow it with, with us. So the text that we're looking at today, if you have a Bible or on your devices, is Hebrews chapter 4, 14, and we're going to chapter 5, verse 4. It's the same text as last week. We spent last week in chapter 4, 14 to 16, and this week we're going to look at chapter 5, 1 to 4, but let's hear this, this whole passage which says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that was last week's text. And now chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So last week we saw in verses 14 to 16 that Jesus is the sympathetic high priest who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet was without sin. And this then can motivate us, inspire us, according to verse 14, to keep the faith, hold fast to our confession, and also to approach God's throne of grace with confidence because we know Jesus, the sympathetic high priest, is there waiting for us. And then the writer in our passage today, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, spends these verses talking about the high priest's solidarity with the people. So in verse 1, he notes that the high priests were appointed to act on behalf of others in relation to God, which included offering gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then in verse 2, he talks about the high priest's solidarity by saying he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So the high priest was supposed to deal gently with others who messed up because he himself was weak. And the weakness talked about here is the weakness of sinning for in verse 3, according to verse 3, he had to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So because of his own human frailty, he could deal gently with the people. Now the Greek word translated into two words in English, deal gently, is such an appropriate word for what we're talking about today. It means to restrain or moderate one's feelings so one can deal gently and considerately with another. So that's what deal gently translates to. To restrain or moderate one's feelings so one can deal gently and considerately with another. So the high priest needed to deal with his own feelings towards the people before dealing with the people. He needed to moderate any ex exasperation or anger. And also he needed to deal with any complacency in his heart that tempted him to just sweep over the people's sins. Don't you love that balance? He, wanted, he needed to deal gently. Deal. Address the issue, but do it gently. And who is the high priest supposed to offer this kind of approach to? Well, we're told those who were ignorant and wayward. Now, the word ignorant refers to lack of knowledge, not knowing. So in this context, it referred to not knowing God's moral law and God's holy will. So it is a lack of knowledge of God and his will. And we see many examples of this in our world today. You have friends and you have neighbors and you have family members who live with no knowledge of God's moral law or will. And they may have grown up and have had nothing to do with Christianity, so they live apart from God's moral law and will, and then it shows up in their lives. Uh, one example, living together before marriage, outside of marriage. In our culture, that has 
been put forward as a reasonable and good next step to take if you are in a serious relationship. Well, the next step is to live together. That's what everyone does. And therefore, you see that with, in Hollywood, you see that in movies, you see that on, on shows, on TV. That's what people do. And uh, the culture tells us it's good. And, and, and the problem is, it is against God's moral law and will. Well, where, where is that? Where is that in the Bible? What are, what are you talking about? Well, the, the Bible consistently testifies that the only appropriate place for expression of sexual relations is within a marriage between a man and a woman. So this is going against God's moral law, God's holy will. But God is not just out to repress us. God is not old-fashioned. His moral will, his holy law, is for our good. It's for our best. And sometimes, especially if we live apart from God's law and will, we can believe what the culture tells us, that this is good. That what you're doing is good, even though it's against God's moral law and will. So uh, we have to sometimes uh, question, ask questions about what the culture tells us. Is, is what you claim to be good really good? And I'm reading a book right now by a, a pastor named John Mark Comer. And in his book, Lived No Lies, he asks questions about cultural assumptions like living together. And he said, is, is, is it good? And he points to some studies that conclude that those who cohabitate before marriage are one, less likely to marry. And so sometimes, you know, couples will, will go into living together and the one has promised the other, well, we will get married. We're, we're going to get married. Don't worry. And then after they live together for a while, the other says, you said we were going to get married. When is that going to happen? Oh, why do I need to do, get married? We're, we're already in this. Or, or two, if they, if they do get married, they are more likely to divorce if they marry than a couple that went directly from dating into marriage. Or three, cohabitating couples often develop long-term trust issues. So you won't hear any of that in the culture, right? You'll hear living together is good. Yeah, and, and, and couples that have no knowledge of God's will for them will, will do that, and they are ignorant, have no knowledge of what, what God says and what God wants. Yet, if they come to the Lord, and they come to worship, and they come to seek the Lord humbly, and, and then they, they discover, oh man, we, we've, we've been sinning. We didn't mean to. I'm... The high priest is supposed to deal with them gently. Not to slam them, not to scold them. But since he himself is beset with weakness, he deals with them gently. And the same approach was applied to another group of people called those who were wayward or those who had gone astray. And astray gives us the image of a sheep who has not followed their shepherd's leading. They have not listened to the shepherd's voice or obeyed. They have chosen to go off on a different path. So the second group knows God's will, knows God's law, and chooses to go against it. So the ignorant are those who sin unintentionally. The wayward or astray are those who sin intentionally. They know that they are going against what God wants. Yet even for this more intentional sinner, the high priest needed to respond by dealing gently with them. And this is assuming that the more intentional sinner is coming for sacrifice, right? Coming humbly. 
So the high priest needs to restrain and moderate his own feelings about the people's sin because he himself is a sinner. So he offers sacrifice for his own sins, then he ministers to others. And pondering his own weakness would help moderate his approach to others. So, so let's think about you and me in this situation. Say that we, in a time of reflection, discover we have been sinning. We have sinned. Uh, and it could be unintentional. We hurt someone and we didn't know that we did that by what we did. Or it's been intentional, but we're like wanting to get right with God. And we want to confess that. And say, you know someone like the person described in Hebrews 5.2. Wouldn't you be more likely to actually go to that person and say, I need to confess something. If you knew they were going to deal gently with you, it, it, that's a huge, makes a huge difference. If we know someone has a heart who will deal gently with us, whether it be a boss or manager or teacher or parent or spouse or relative or, or a pastor. And the author of Hebrews declares this is the expectation that lay upon the high priest. But what was the reality? What do we know about the high priests in the first century, the high priests around the time of Christ? Well, they were arrogant, corrupt, murderous, defensive, dismissive of the people, angry, power hungry. And if the high priests modeled that kind of behavior, how do you think it filtered down to priests throughout the nation, priests who ministered? in the villages. We see Jesus condemn ordinary religious leaders for their mistreatment of the people. Spend some time in Matthew 23, which paints this clear picture of the abuses done by some priests while in their position. So imagine then you are a first century Jewish person and you have received this letter from the Hebrews or addressed to the Hebrews to you and it is read and you know that the high priests have this negative reputation and maybe your local high priest acts similarly for you know that if you were to confess to your high priest, he would just blast you. And then verse 2 is read, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And, and wouldn't most of them respond by saying, I wish I had a priest like that. I wish I had someone to go to when I blew it that would help me through it and help me to do better. So we've got this picture in Hebrews 5.2 of, of really the ideal high priest. So now let's zoom out for a moment from just verse 2 of Hebrews 5 and look at what this overall passage is about. It's about Jesus, the sympathetic high priest who is superior in every way to every human high priest that has ever lived. And though the author doesn't say it directly, I think he's indirectly saying Jesus fulfills verse 2 perfectly towards anyone who blows it and comes humbly. Jesus will deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And this is where Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, which we're kind of following through this service or through this series, goes with Hebrews 5.2. He claims and follows another uh, Puritan author named John Owens 
who, who says Hebrews 5.2 describes Jesus' heart for us. And when I first read that, I struggled because the writer's talking about human high priests. He points out their need to offer sacrifice for their own sins in verse 3. But notice in verse 2, the author doesn't use the word sin when talking about the high priest. He uses the word weakness. And yes, for the human high priest, that weakness was sin, but he's just talked about Jesus and weaknesses in chapter 4, verse 15, where he says he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, for he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus himself was beset by this human weakness when he was on earth, this vulnerability to sin in the face of temptation, but he never sinned. So he sympathizes, he knows what temptation is like, but he never sinned. Instead, he did something about our sins. And instead of being obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, he sacrificed himself for our sins. Which means that he can fulfill verse 2 perfectly. He can deal gently with us, for he sympathizes with our weakness and gave of himself to pay for our sins. And think about what that accomplished. It moderated any feelings of anger or exasperation Jesus might have had for us and especially God the Father had for us. All that was poured out on the cross. So when we come to him, he will deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. So the answer to our question, what is Jesus' heart like towards us when we blow it, Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward, you and me. Now, I know it's not comfortable to think of ourselves as ignorant and wayward. I mean, I don't want to put that on my resume. I'm ignorant and wayward. And yet, we do need to face the reality of our own hearts if we want a close relationship with God. And it is necessary if we want to experience freedom from sin's poison in our lives, to face them, to admit them. And the Bible reveals the reality of our hearts to us. So in Psalm 95, which Kaylin read before the last song, she read every bit of that psalm except the last verse, which says, Psalm 95:10, this is God speaking, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. And the prophet Isaiah says it like this, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. So if we're going to have a close relationship with Jesus, we have to admit the reality. We go astray part of being human all we like sheep have gone astray we sin unintentionally and intentionally but when we come to Jesus we don't come to someone who looks down on us with judgment and scolding nor do we come to someone who just sweeps everything under the carpet and pretends it didn't happen he deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward and the disciple Peter talks a little bit about this in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, or the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. That's also from Isaiah 53. For you were straying like sheep, 
but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Jesus responds gently or deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. How can we respond? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge our sin to the Lord himself and repent of it. Our ignorance, our waywardness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession is how the poison of sin gets washed out of us. We might have done something unintentionally that resulted in hurt or we may have wandered off God's path, but we recognize that. We come to Christ who receives us and deals gently with us and can sympathize with our weakness. We admit our sin, we express our desire to turn from it, and we embrace his forgiveness and restored relationship with him. And early church father John Chrysostom wrote this, be ashamed when you sin, but don't be ashamed when you repent. Sin is the wound, repentance is the medicine. Sin is followed by shame, repentance is followed by boldness. And Satan has overturned this order and given boldness to sin and shame to repentance. But don't believe that lie. So, Acknowledge our sin to the Lord Jesus and repent of it. Two, acknowledge our sin to those we've sinned against and repent of it. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 state, if you're offering your gift at the altar, this is Jesus talking, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. Be reconciled with your brother first and then come and offer your gift. So you're, you're doing this public act of offering a gift to, at your altar and Jesus is saying it's more important to go and be reconciled with the person you sinned against than to continue that public act of worship. And this is part of reconciling relationships. We acknowledge, we admit, we've done wrong, we've sinned unintentionally or intentionally. We need to feel and show real remorse to the person that we've hurt we need to allow them to express their hurt and how our sin affected them. And then we need to promise we will work on changing by God's strength. And then third, we need to ask the Spirit to grow in us the ability to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward in our lives. I mean, Christ calls us to be imitators of him. That's part of growing as a Christian, to be shaped into Christ's likeness. So if you are parents of young children, you have this tremendous opportunity to constantly deal with little people who are often ignorant or don't know God's law, God's will, or just the way to live ordinary life. And it can be frustrating and challenging at times. And so we need to pray and ask, Lord, will you help me to deal gently when they do things unintentionally they spilled the milk they were careless about it so we deal gently with them we deal with it we address it but we do it gently and if we have a, a tendency to respond with exasperated anger and that's become our go-to response then we need to ask the lord will you please work in my heart so that i don't respond automatically like that 
But, but then there are those who are intentionally wayward. And that's way harder. There's, there's just no other way to put it. And when that happens to me, I first have to withdraw and really deal with my own feelings. Before I say anything, before I address it, because otherwise I'm going to come across and I'm going to blast and I'm going to be really angry. And remember, deal gently means to restrain and moderate our feelings. Sometimes we have to recover emotionally from what happened. Otherwise, we're just more likely to blow up or just avoid it, which doesn't ultimately lead to resolution, lead to the poison of the relationship being sucked out. And remember, this is for people who come to the priest. So they're coming to worship. They're coming to make things right. They're recognizing their walk with God and to sacrifice so when people sin intentionally against us and then they come to make it right, we deal gently with them. And when someone comes to us to confess, it's, it's easier to deal gently with them. But what about those people in your life that sin intentionally against you that, that don't come with repentance? And, and, and sadly, there are so many of you that are dealing with situations like that. Well, I, I think... We need to recognize that's a different category. It's a different category. And, and we do need to, we still need to ask for prayer, or we need to pray that God will grow in us that ability to deal gently, but sin still needs to be dealt with. And if another person's not willing to come and to confess, then that's, that's different. And we ask God for strength to bear with the situation, but the relationship's not resolved. And that's reality for some of us with some people in our lives. And so in those situations, you have to pray for the Lord's wisdom and, and, and strength and, and you have to set boundaries. Sometimes you set boundaries. If people continually sin against you, hurt you with no remorse, well, it's, it's appropriate to set boundaries. And the, the scriptures tell us that people who sin with a really high hand like that, of rebellion, that they're going to fall into the hands of God. And so we entrust them to him. We pray that they'll repent before it's too late. But yeah, my heart craves for you when you're in a situation like that. And yet, we also need to remember, the Lord dealt gently with us when we lived in high-handed rebellion against him, when he reached out to us, when we were still sinners, God died for us, sent his son to die for us. So we asked the Lord to grow in us that ability to deal gently with those in our lives who are ignorant and wayward. And then, then lastly, we need to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. And this one is about the tendency that I have seen sometimes in some to just kind of put their spiritual growth all onto someone else. Someone else's responsibility. So it's the church's responsibility, pastor's responsibility, my spouse's responsibility, it's the youth group's responsibility, it's this, it's that, and if I'm not growing, it's them. 
And sometimes I've had it where people have asked me to be accountability partners or keep them accountable to something. And when I was early in ministry, I always said yes to that. And accountability relationships are great if you want to grow. But sometimes, and sometimes what I experienced was it wasn't people wanting to grow. It was shifting responsibility onto me. Oh, yeah, Pastor Tom's holding me accountable. Well, what about, what are you doing to grow spiritually, to deal with this, to, to take hold of the life for which Christ has taken hold of you? And, and we need to, to take responsibility for our spiritual lives. Uh, it's not hard to find God. God's seeking us. We, if we seek him, he'll seek us. He'll reveal to us what he wants. He wants the best for us. He's always for us and for our good. But, but we need to seek him. We need to put in that whole time and effort that, that we put into that which is important. But it all starts with this walk with Christ. Our own walk with Christ and a willingness to come to him even when we sin. And we come to one who deals gently with us when we sin. So as we, as we close today, I want to invite you to maybe respond to God with whatever he may have been speaking to you about. So maybe today um, you've been reminded of some way you sinned unintentionally against God or against someone, or you've sinned intentionally, and you, and you need to bring that to God. Or you um, need to ask for courage to talk to that person that you have sinned against to make things right or to ask for strength to deal gently with others or maybe we need to confess that we have not taken hold of our own spiritual walk and journey and just say Lord I, I'm, I'm done with that I need to start or to renew my spiritual walk with you and practices and patterns what, whatever it is that the Lord has said, I want to invite you to come to him now. And Lord, as, as, as we come, I, I lift up those right now who uh, you've brought to mind maybe some sin, some, something that they weren't aware of that is a sin that you brought to mind or maybe some, something intentional they've, they've done, we've done, that we need to bring before you. So I lift that Lift those up to you. And if that's you will, you, will you bring that sin to the Lord now and confess it before him? And, and, and then will you repent of that sin? And that means you express to the Lord your desire to turn away from it and by his strength to leave it behind. So I repent of my of my sin, Lord. And, and for those who maybe need to reconcile with someone, I pray, will you pray now and ask the Lord for courage to go and reconcile? And for those who, which is all of us, need strength to deal gently with those who are ignorant or wayward in our lives. Will you ask the Lord for strength to do that? To grow in that?
And if the Lord's revealed to you today that you've been maybe pushing off your responsibility to grow spiritually to others, will you confess that to the Lord and then ask for the Spirit's help for you to take hold of the life that Christ has for you? And Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we want to praise you for being the perfect high priest. And you're not exasperated with us. You're not angry. You just invite us to come. You sympathize with us. You will deal gently with us. Help us to stop hiding from you, but to come to you. if there's anyone here today right now that needs prayer about anything that we've talked about today I want you to come to the front and I'm just gonna gonna pray for you before we do our closing song so if you have a need for prayer of anything that we've talked about today will you please come at this time and I just want to pray for you just come before the Lord and say Lord this is what I need I need you and Lord, I want to lift up to you everyone here today and whatever they face. We all have relationships in our lives. Some are great and some are hard. We're also the people who walk with you and also go astray. And so help us to be honest about that and just draw near you and to receive your forgiveness and get that poison of sin out of our lives so we can continue on in growing in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you deal with us gently and that you died for us willingly.